Hi and welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen to Raw Chatter. I am your host and presenter, Vicky Midwood. This is season three of this podcast that will be talking about fitness, health, alcohol dependence, issues around food, body weight, body image, and all of the stuff related to how we feel about ourselves and in our own skin. I do hope you enjoy these episodes and I would love you to comment and connect with me on social media. If you get the opportunity to drop me a line, I'd also love to hear from you. It's Vicky, V-I-C-K-Y, at vickymidwood.com. Enjoy the episode. Hi, it's Vicky Midwood here and welcome to Raw Chatter. Today it's quite a personal one. I want to share some stuff about my upcoming book launch. The launch of the book Women Thrive, Inspiring Stories of Women Who Have Overcome Diversity is a project that I've been involved with since September of last year. And it was a little bit of mixed feelings that I wanted to do this. And and I'm going to share why, because the whole process of it has been a massive learning journey. And it's also helping me to understand yet another layer of how my brain works and, and how emotions and physical issues are all so powerfully intertwined and why, yet again, it's so important that I keep on pressing home the message that we cannot separate mental health and physical health because one affects the other and they are literally on this figure of eight kind of cycle and it's so important to to learn to connect our head with our body, our emotions with signals and to not get too bogged down on what's happened in the past and what we feel that we're attached to. And that's what I want to share and where I'm going to start with you today. So I'm a little bit itchy today. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm talking about uh, a personal subject and a body language is powerful. So for those of you who may be watching on YouTube and you've just seen me have a little itch, um, maybe you can tell me what is going on subconsciously for me. I, I'd, I'd love to know. I do use body language cues and signals with my clients, but not massively in depth. Um, so the book launch, what it's brought up for me was the, the timing and the date of it. Uh, wasn't I wasn't kind of 100% sure that it was going to be this time of year. I thought it was going to be before Christmas. And I think that was the intention when we first set out on the journey. Um, so this is a collaboration that I'm doing with seven other authors, um, which was just an idea sparked by uh, a lady who uh, who has just built an incredible uh, Women Thrive, Women in Business community. So please go and, and check her out. Um, you'll find her on social media as, as Raymonda Jan. Um, Ketta, I believe is how to pronounce the surname. And if I've got it wrong, <laughs> Ray, I'm sorry, please do correct me. Um, but you will find her, just Google uh, Women in Business or Women Thrive. Um, and also there's the links anyway, uh, in the show notes, and of course, in the YouTube description. But she decided that she wanted to put this collaboration uh, together because she's just met some incredibly inspiring women in her journey to grow her community and help women to grow their businesses. And I have written a book in the past. Some of you may know this and some of you may not. So this that you can see behind me that is in all of my YouTube videos 
is actually the banner that I had made for my book launch, which was in 2018. Now, 2018 was a very powerful year for me in terms of, of kind of what happened. It's the year I had my heart attack. It's, um, it's the year I was 49 in 2018, and uh, it sounds quite young to have a heart attack. But I've shared a little bit about thyroid and my issues with my health um, on my story on my website, which is vickimidwood.com. And you can read a little bit more about my story on there if you haven't. But I wrote this book before I had actually had my heart attack. And this book was kind of an important catalyst to tipping me over the edge to having a heart attack. Now, let me just caveat that with, I knew a heart attack was on the cards for me. Anyway, it was kind of a given that I would have a heart attack at some point in my life. Now, I'm not saying that to sound really kind of blasé and, and I'm not kind of putting down or dumbing down the, the kind of the severity of, of a heart attack at all. So if you're somebody's listening who's had a heart attack and, she, and then you think I'm sounding a little bit blasé about it, well, it's because heart attacks run not just on one side of my family, but both. And also because I'd had some health issues and it was not getting anywhere with conventional GPs and what have you, I had some private blood testing done and um, he could quite see quite clearly from what was showing up when he looked at all of the blood tests together, not in isolation, not separately, that a heart attack was very lightly on the cards for me. And I kind of wasn't surprised. Because of my history of bulimia, which can cause heart problems anyway, um, for those people who don't know the damage that bulimia can do to your heart, feel free to Google it, but it can cause a very slow heart rate called bradycardia, which actually mine was, was very slow anyway, even from being a kid. Um, but it can also cause issues because your electrolyte balance gets completely thrown. So I didn't do myself any favours by um, by being bulimic for the amount of years that I was, um, nearly 12 plus. And also having alcohol dependence, not great for the heart either. So those things, the fact that it's it was kind of in, uh, in my family history, and I had exacerbated it with my behavior patterns and my addictive issues, it was no surprise when I was told that I was on the cards for a heart attack. So was it a surprise that I actually had one? Well, no, but 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 yes, <laughs> because you don't know when it's going to happen. And when I say that the, my first book was a catalyst to it, then you can kind of understand my trepidation about doing another book. Uh, because my experience with my first book was not as I had expected, was not as anticipated. Long story, very, very short. Um, I chose a more expensive packet option where we did interviews and talking uh, and they were going to then write the text kind of for me. So like ghostwriter style. But when I read the transcripts back, it, it just didn't sound like me. And, and I could not, from an ethical point of view, from an energetic, from my alignment point of view, put out a book that didn't sound like it was me speaking, it was me talking. So... I made a lot of changes and the book was not ready for an exhibition. So I had booked a, a stand at Excel for an exhibition. And if anybody's ever been involved in doing exhibitions at big 
venues in London, you'll know this is not a cheap thing to do. You have to hire the space. You then have to get power put into the space. And, and I didn't know this, but when you walk around exhibitions, every piece of furniture and, and kind of stuff that's on their stand to make it attractive and enticing, like tables and chairs and, and things like that, they've had to hire them. So if the seats and there's settees and things for you to sit down on, every single item has had to be paid for separately and hired including if you want an electrical supply so if you want lights and you want your computer to be working then you've got to pay for that as well and I didn't know that so at a, a much larger cost than I expected I'd, I'd gone all in to have this stand and the reason that I went for the book passage with these particular the, the, the book package option that I chose with these particular people when I signed up was on the proviso that the book would be ready physically would be ready for me to put on the stand and and it wasn't. And that caused me so much grief and upset. Now, you'll probably say, well, surely that's not enough to tip you over into a heart attack. But here's the thing. In between me finding out that my physical copy of my book was not going to be ready, my mum had died and we had a funeral. So I literally went and did this event having done the funeral during that week and I I'm going to be sharing on next week podcast about grief and and how that can affect our relationship with with alcohol and with food and other things um so I dealt with my mum's funeral and within that there was a, a bit of a an issue with family and I'm not going to go into that but it, it wasn't the greatest of atmospheres and it wasn't obviously a funeral is not a happy occasion anyway but the whole build up to it that on its own was very very stressful so combine it with the fact that the whole book scenario there were letters and emails going to and fro from the publishing company who were not going to accept responsibility I was just mortified that I had planned to have the physical book available for me to sign at the event and it wasn't going to be ready and it was not going to be there on my stand, plus my mum's my funeral and the family falling out. And the long shot of it is I had a heart attack. So when I had come round in the long circle, but when I saw uh, Ray's advert asking for people to be a part of this project, I was kind of in two minds the excitement in my gut was do it because this is a completely different book and this is a completely different scenario and it's not going to be anything like the same as it was before but there was another part of me that was also very hesitant and very resistant and and I want to pull that up because for the clients that I work with, for people who have got issues around food or alcohol, or you suffer from a lot from anxiety or depression, then you know really, really well, intimately almost, that sense of being pulled in two different directions. You want to do it, but you're scared of doing it. You want to do it because it feels like the right thing to do, but there's this kind of little voice in your head going, are you sure you want to do that? Do you really want to do that? And so I I kind of knew that, that I had to push through that that voice and just say that's ridiculous. That was one experience and that does not mean that every experience of writing a book is going to be the same. And of course, this is a powerful message, but it's something that we do as human beings. Our brain only had the, has the past to go by. And so when something comes up that sounds the same, that feels similar, 
to something that we've done in the past and the experience of that, that that one event that we had wasn't great, our brain will say, no, you don't want to do that because it wasn't good in the past. The outcome was not what you expected. And that's just how our brain works. And when you can call bullshit on that and you know it's just your brain and it's not the truth, and that's key, it's not true. Just because you have one experience of one thing does not mean that it's always going to be like that. Once we know that we can go absolute garbage, then of course we can move forward. And when I had a conversation with Ray, I knew that it was going to be a completely different experience. And it was. <laughs> it's been awesome. We have got seven, um, the seven others, obviously I'm number eight, others who have come together to, to talk about just snippets of our story. We've all got incredible stories. And, and some of the ladies have actually written books themselves on their own not as collaborators they've also been collaborators on other books as well so so I'm a, I'm a newbie at this whole collaborating thing which in and of itself makes it very exciting because I love new things I know that it's the only way to grow and expand is to do something I've not done before because one of my kind of go-to sayings is you never know until you have a go and it's such a powerful saying, and it's one that I've used for donkey's years, particularly for my clients who are new to exercise, who believe that they couldn't do something. It's like, well, how, how about you just try it? How about you just try it? Because you never know until you have a go. You just might try it. And not only that, you might even like it. But you can't possibly know if you like something if you never give yourself the opportunity to even try it. And so collaboration is new to me and, and I'm starting to do it within my business. And, uh, and this is a great time for exploring. And I can feel that I'm smiling. And you can see that I am if you're watching on YouTube. You can probably hear it in my voice because it was such an amazing journey to get to know the other authors, to get to hear about their stories. And then the challenge, of course, was picking just one part which part, which part of my story, I've shared quite a bit of my story on um, my website, as I said previously, uh, but there is so much more to it. You know, I had issues with food and, and my body and my size since being a little person. And, you know, I'm, I'm now 54. So that's a lot of years where I, I know I was ill, not for all of them. I stepped into, into rehab at 35, but then the, the process of recovery is an ongoing one and the journey of learning about who I am and, and how I work is a non-stop journey and I'm always learning new things especially you know where I've got two autoimmune issues that are very much related to my disordered eating I have had a heart attack uh, so I deal with something called Sjogren's which is an, an autoimmune system um, that makes my eyes have, have problems and, and basically bits of my body that should be lubricated and not as lubricated as they should be. Use your imagination, yes, uh, I'm talking about that. Uh, but eyes and, and, and things like that as well. It also means that I get arthritis-type symptoms. Um, that's one of the things that happens with Sjogren's. I can get very, very tired. I also have Hashimoto, so knowing you know, that a lot of those symptoms very much cross over and managing the two and often autoimmune issues come in in twos, threes or even fours. So it's no surprise that those two um, are something that I am managing and dealing with. And and it does get more challenging as I get older because I'm very much um, wanting to help myself naturally, but I'm also human. And so there are times like Christmas when I will eat more of the sugary foods and I will be tempted by flour and cakes and stuff like that, that I 
know are going to create an inflammatory response and my body is, is not good at. And I like others. Now, and again, do hit that fuck it button. But unfortunately, my body and my brain will pay the price and I can only sustain it for a short time without then having to take a hard look at it and go, hey, what you're doing. And this is why when I share some of the stuff that I do share about self-love and self-compassion, it's important that you know, I am not perfect. I am human. And there are some times when I catch myself and my brain because it's pre-programmed and that old program is flipping powerful. And I can say to myself, oh, I'm going to treat myself too. When I know full well that as far as my body's concerned, chocolate and sugar is not a treat. I know that dairy foods are not a treat. You know, prime example, went to my uncle's 80th do at Claridge's and the food was great, but the dessert was an eaten mess with mango. And yes, there was dairy and yes, there was sugar. As you know, meringue is pretty much all sugar. Did I eat it anyway? Yes. Did I know that potentially yesterday, Sunday and today I may be feeling a little bit under par? Yes. But have I allowed for it? And that's the difference. I have allowed for it. So back to trying to choose which part of my story. One of the questions, and then this is this is what really, really helped me out to think about what are the things that people ask me most? If I'm doing podcasts and what, what do they ask me to talk about? And it often is, what made you stop? What made me stop drinking? Now, the drinking was the thing and going into rehab that allowed me to recognize, much as I didn't want to, that I still hadn't fully dealt with my eating issues and my body image issues either, even though I'd done a pretty darn good job of convincing myself that I had. So I talk about what made me stop. And, and that is that is the chapter. Now, I went through so many different things. So what was the message that I wanted to get across? And and, and what I want you to kind of take away from my chapter is that overriding everything is that you are not broken. You don't need fixing. If you find that you are compulsive and that you feel that you are obsessed to, to do certain behaviors, you know, there is an underlying reason and that's just a symptom, right? It's food is not the main problem. It's what we think about food. It's our associations, it's our interpretations, it's what we think about having a body that looks a certain way. That's the stuff that we need to be looking at. It's not the actual food itself, although, and I am going to caveat this, when I first went into um, to see a therapist about my bulimia issues and they said, it's nothing to do with the food, I wanted to smack them around the head. Because as far as I was concerned, in the depths of it, it was everything to do with the food. And when he started asking me a little bit about my background and my family, I could not see the link because he didn't explain it. And that's the difference that, that working with me is about. When I say, you know, my kind of strap line is educator and healer. And it's that for a reason because you have to understand how your body works. And I'm a great believer that if we understand something, if we've got uh, the reasons why behind something, it's much more easy to accept them. Prime example of that is, uh, obviously my daughter's grown up with me, single single mom ever since she was mom, and um, she's picked up what I do and the language that I use, but also she's pretty strong in her own mind and confident, and the reason behind that, I truly believe, is because 
ever since she was a tiny little person, whether she was understanding what I was saying or not, I still did it, was I explained to her why things, why I said what I said, why I asked her to do what I asked her to do. I always explained that there was a reason behind it, that it wasn't just because I say so or because you have to. And so when she was at school and there were some some crazy, ridiculous rules at school that made no sense to her, she quite rightly asked for them to explain their reasoning behind them. And when they couldn't, she was the one who was made to feel that she was wrong. But actually, she was dead right because it made no sense because it doesn't make any sense. It's about control. It's about control in school, having pointless rules. And it's about keeping everyone being the same so that nobody stands out and feels different, right? We understand that. But when you don't explain that reason clearly either, then you can see why she got frustrated and she got annoyed. And this is part of why people want to know how and why I stopped drinking. And it makes sense because we want to know why. Well, for me, I don't go into great detail uh, about my suicide attempts before because I jump into the book where all I was thinking about at that time before I ended up in rehab was how I could no longer be on this planet. And I don't go into great detail because I, because that's not the main crux of the story and it's not the reason I didn't, obviously, and I'm here. So the main thing is, how did I not do that? And this is where I have to truly believe that there is something much more powerful than me that stepped in with coincidences. Now, if you don't believe that, it's fine. Believe in coincidences and it's cool. I don't really mind whether you believe that everything that happened as I describe it in my chapter was a coincidence or whether there was something more powerful going on. It, it makes no difference to me what you believe. I know what I believe and that's that's the important thing when I was writing it. What I wanted to share was that I there was no one thing that made me stop. And that's the message I want to get across. We've we've led to believe in this in this society that we live in that there is one cause for a symptom and therefore one solution. That is not how we work. Whether you're addicted to food, to alcohol, sex, gambling, it doesn't matter. It is never driven just by one thing. It's a multitude of things that come together. And, and it's like a stacking system, if you like. There's just one thing after another after another over time and over your lifetime and experiences and programming and trauma and stuff that sticks, sentences that you heard, feelings that you had, all of this stuff and our personal interpretations of things that make us think and feel a certain way. All of that together, as well as physiologically, you know, some of us, and I was one who's actually physiologically addicted to alcohol. Now, people with alcohol dependence, there's very few who have an actual full-blown physical dependency. A lot of people, it's just, it's a habit and it's something that they're very attached to, but it doesn't have, it, it's, they don't physically need it to actually survive. Right, I hadn't been for even a day without alcohol before um, the DTs, the deliriums, treatments kicked in. In fact, it was less than four hours, four, about around four hours that they kicked in. And so that's how severely physically dependent on alcohol I was to actually function. My whole brain and body were dependent. And um, that is not everybody's story at all. A lot of people are not. And that's why 
there doesn't have to be a big thing and a big event and a big aha and a great big disaster or the coincidences that I uh, explain that happen. But the desire to no longer drink was removed. And that is something that I cannot explain. I, I didn't do it. I didn't learn to live without alcohol in the sense that if I don't learn how to live without alcohol, I'm going to go back and drink. I just learned how to take the habits that I associated with daily living and alcohol out of my world. But at no point was I ever in a space or a place where I would look at a, a bottle of wine or a glass of beer and go, oh my God, I wish I could. It just didn't happen. And I can't explain that. Now, people in AA will say that that's God, power greater than yourself, higher power. I call it the universe. Um, I, I, I am not a, a religious person. I think that I'm not going to explain to you my reasons behind me not being a religious person. Suffice to say, it caused a lot of arguments at home. So I don't do religion. But but I do believe that there is something bigger than me because I do believe that something bigger than me created this planet that I'm happening to live on. And I also believe that I'm an energetic being and and the energy and the alignment with whatever it is that created that decided it wasn't my time to pop my clogs to to take my life, whichever terminology or phrase you choose to use. And if I've used this phrase there that, that maybe triggers some people and you hate it, apologies, it's just words. And when I say just words, I don't mean that glibly. Um, but we can give words power and associations, or we can choose to actually take those associations and power away from them if we want to. So popping the clogs is, is a colloquial terminology that some people hate and some people find just lightens the mood when we're talking about death. However you take it, uh, take it in whichever way you want to. And the reason I'm siding on that is it came up in a conversation recently and somebody felt very upset and offended by it. And I just want to say, decide why. Why, why was it so offensive? Um, and so I'm back to my why. <laughs> this is why I wrote my book, because I wanted to share my, the chapter in the book, because I wanted to share that there was something more powerful than me. So for those of you who are going to AA and you are a part of that community, and especially if you're very new and you're thinking, oh, my God, this all this talk of 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 God and, and religion, it seems like religion and a power bigger than you. It's not. It's it's not about that, but it's believing that you are not the one who is controlled because you cannot go into removing a habit, an addiction, a compulsion, an obsession with the same mindset and the same thought processes that created that habit and that addiction in the first place. And yes, we have to take responsibility for the fact that we did create that habit and we did keep repeating that habit because it gave us something. It gave us a sense of either numbing out or feeling that we could now deal with life because we were a little bit more confident or the ability to just take a moment, stop and breathe and not have to think about anything else, right? It also helped us 
to feel a little bit calmer, especially if you're somebody who has ADHD or anxiety issues, then you'll know that certain drinks and sometimes alcohol can indeed help you feel calmer. And they will give you that dopamine boost, especially if you are ADHD, that your brain is telling you it absolutely needs. So there are reasons behind why we do and we keep on doing the habits that we've created for ourselves. But if we can trust that all of us do have the ability to change those and to create different ways of giving ourselves what we need, then that is the overriding message behind my chapter in the book, is that we can be free, but you can't do it on your own. You need help. I think we all need to be able to talk about what is going on for us and what we are feeling. And if you can do that with somebody who actually gets it, who gets the thing, who understands that although deep down you may know deep inside, perhaps because you've heard it or you or you understand it, because because for the majority of people who have issues with food and alcohol, particularly for people who have got ADHD as well, they, they understand that there's a reason why they're doing it. They understand what they need to do, but it's the doing it that's the difficult bit. And when you can speak to somebody about how you can deal with the emotions and the feelings that come up when it does get challenging, when every single part of your being, body and brain says, just go do the thing that will give you some release and help you to feel better fast. You need to be talking to somebody who understands the substance I believe, and what it feels like so that you can kind of talk the same language. And language is is part of my, my BLAST method. It's, you know, my BLAST method is an acronym. And the B stands for body and brain and boundaries and bacteria and beliefs, right? And the L stands for language and letting go. And letting go of the associations and the interpretations that we have with certain words, with certain phrases is a key part of that. And that's something else that I share in my chapter, because I, I tell you about my experience of going into AA for the very first time. Now, I was in a little bit of a safety bubble, if you like, because I was in rehab and the AA meeting was in a building within uh, the rehab grounds. But People who went to that meeting were not all in the rehab centre. They were from all walks of life. And this is where my eyes were truly opened. And it wasn't full of people who were dishevelled and down and outs and shuffling and looking at the floor and all that kind of thing. There were solicitors and doctors. There were bus drivers. There were, there were people from every single walk. There was garage owners. There, were, there was just people from all walks of life in business suits, in jeans and T-shirts, just right across the board. In other words, they were just people, right? And so when I went in, I was just another person who had chosen, not on purpose, to have a dependence on a subject that was causing me to hate myself and my life and want to escape from it permanently. And when I started to let go of the God side of things and just recognize that I could use a different terminology, then it helped me. But one thing that I do share is, and it still grates on me, on me now, is that this, the whole uh, meeting scenario, and you've probably seen it on films where they put the hand up and they say, 
my name is and I am. And that is something that I struggled with, particularly when I had been in recovery for sort of 18 months or so, because I recognized that every time I was saying I am, I was reinforcing this idea that I still was in the process of my addiction, but I wasn't because I had recovered. I had no desire to drink. It wasn't in my thinking. It wasn't in my daily life. I achieved a lot in those first 18 months that I would definitely never, ever have achieved if it hadn't have been for rehab and for me letting go of my dependence on alcohol. And, and so, you know, my story is different to everybody's, not everybody does, but I embraced what my sponsor told me to do. And I did it exactly as she said. I worked through the steps as quickly as possible. There's 12 steps. We did them in 12 weeks. And she took no prisoners in that you will be there at a certain time and you will do the work. And I needed that. That is exactly what I needed. That is how I worked. And, and because of, of her, um, I am, I believe, and I was a, a good sponsor to the people who went through the steps with my help. But that was the one thing. And I, t and I took her kind of advice on this because I said, I really feel uncomfortable saying I am an alcoholic when actually I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I talk about that in the book because I want you to hear the difference between I am, meaning I'm still active, I'm still struggling, and I am recovered from the issue of alcoholism. And again, that term ism is not my favorite one. I prefer to use the term alcohol dependence because my body was physically, emotionally and mentally dependent upon it and all the associations that I had with it. But once I let those go, then no longer. And so what I want you to take away from this is a number of things, actually. If you if you have got this kind of idea of what an AA meeting is like based upon hearsay and what have you, and you've never been to one but you feel that you would take a deep breath, take a leap of faith and find one that's not too stressful for you to get to. Um, if you can, have a phone call with somebody first and see if you can meet up with somebody before you show up so there's somebody to meet you at the door. If not, whoever is on the door will be more than happy to meet and greet you and welcome you in. Everybody is welcome in an AA meeting. Um, if you've got preconceived ideas about it being some kind of a cult or it's all about religion, let go of that as bullshit, right? It is not a cult and it's not all about religion. It is a very uh, good way for a lot of people to help them to feel around people who have the same kind of thoughts and feelings that they do, right? Which is important because we don't want to feel different all of the time. We already feel different when we're in the midst of our issues because we feel out of control. Um, and so it's not for everybody. And I absolutely am not a proponent of saying everybody must do the 12 steps. It's the only way. No, it is not. Right? There's loads of different ways of people getting free from addictive habits, compulsive habits, from anxiety, from body confidence issues from self-worth issues, tons and tons of different ways. It's a way, right? Is the premise behind it very similar to life coaching? Well, actually, yes, it is. When you look at just exactly what is included in the 12 steps 
And if you've been ever been on a, a life coaching program or course, then the similarities are without a doubt very powerful and strong. But that's why it does work for a lot of people. But no, there is never one size fits all. And one thing will not work with everybody. And that's why I have created a program that I believe combines some of that stuff, but with other stuff, practical stuff that I needed help with. Um, and so I hope that you do. Um, get the book. It's called Women Thrive, Inspiring Stories of Women Who Have Overcome Adversity. And, and I do hope that not just from my story, but from the other author stories in there who talk about issues around health and other areas of adversity that they've had to overcome, that you will inspire, be inspired to believe that anything is possible if you can have just a little bit of a, a modicum of just maybe possibly I can, instead of coming from a space of I can't, and recognizing that you are not broken and you don't need fixing. You just need some help for you to take the right steps in the right order to help you, to help yourself to have a life that is fun and exciting and helps you to feel that you are thriving and not just surviving. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I'm just going to finish that um, the links are below for you to have a look at. Um, this is going out on the week of our book launch event, which is this Saturday. It's 8 p.m. GMT. And uh, you can use the link below to jump onto that launch. And once the book has actually been published on Amazon, I will put a link in the show notes where you can use that link to actually go and purchase the book. Have a lovely, lovely day, whatever you get up to. Thank you for your time. Once again, look after yourself and your health. You only have one body. Take care of it. It takes care of you. Thank you. <laughs>